I'm Tavis Smiley. Happy New Year to you. Hope uh, you are keeping your head to the sky today and every day this year, which is sometimes easier said than done. But we're going to do our best to help you in this hour and in our third and final hour today. Uh, in our third and final hour today, the motivator, Les Brown, will join us live uh, to uh, help you maximize this moment. But I am delighted to have on this program in this hour, Valerie Burton. Um, she's the author of the book, Let Go of the Guilt, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. A few questions for you uh, at the start of this year. Do you sometimes feel as though you've never quite done enough? I know I do sometimes. Do you beat yourself up when you don't do things perfectly? I know I do sometimes. Or succumb to guilt trips others uh, use to get you to do what they want expectations for what you should accomplish this year and how your life should go this year uh, are higher than ever. And so is the tendency for so many of us in this process to feel guilty. Um, Valerie argues in this book that left unchecked, that guilt can drive your decisions, drain your emotions, and rule your relationships. So here's the penultimate question. How do you break this insidious habit, this uh, crazy cycle. I am pleased to welcome to this program Valerie Burton. Valerie, Happy New Year. How are you today? Happy New Year, Tavis. It's good to be with you. It is good to hear your voice and good to have you on this program. Let me just start with a couple of broad questions and we'll narrow our way through as we move through this hour trying to inspire, empower, uplift those who are listening today uh, at the beginning of this year. So let, let, give, me, give me your thoughts broadly about the ways that we succumb to the guilt trips that people put us on. Yeah, I think a lot of times we don't even call it guilt. Uh, we don't even recognize it's guilt. If you are constantly beating yourself up, if, you know, you always feel like you, you've not quite done enough. I think that's a big one. And you haven't even defined what enough is. That's a mm -hmm. big part of the problem. Um, and this time of year, I think it's really common because... We beat ourselves up for the goals we set last year that we didn't even meet. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the biggest issue, I think, is that when we feel guilt, and a lot of times it's not authentic guilt, we haven't done anything wrong, it's actually false guilt. If we let the guilt get in the driver's seat and take control, then we start making decisions out of guilt, and that's when we really get ourselves into trouble. Yep. Uh, let me just pick apart um, a few things you've just said now. Uh, let me start with this, because I, this, some of this is, um, is, uh, is a bit personal for me, uh, because I, I know um, that, that all of us at times uh, feel like we've not quite done enough, and we beat ourselves up, and we don't do things perfectly. As I said earlier, I've already, I got my hand raised already to both of those questions. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> um, but, but to your point about, about goal setting, I was just saying to some friends the other day, that I'm not one of those persons who does New Year's resolutions, at least not in the way that we think about it. Most of us think about New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year. For me, um, it's my birthday. My birthday happens to be in September. And every year, for years now, on my birthday, I literally spend some time in solitude, some time alone, sometimes more hours than, than other years. But I, I, I purposely, on my birthday, steal away by myself because I want to just assess how I did on the goals I set for myself last year. And I have a, I'm, I'm an old school guy. I literally write these things down. I write down yeah. on a piece of paper what I want to accomplish in the year to come. I figured God allowed me to live another year on my birthday. That's the day. That's the new year in my life, right? So on my birthday, I write down all oh, the things <laughs> I want to accomplish for the year to come. And I pull out that piece of paper from a year ago to see how I did on the year prior. 
Um, fortunately, most years I do pretty good. Some years I don't I don't quite get to where I, where, where I want to be. Um, but I've had to learn over the years, to your point, to not beat myself up too badly. When I don't check off or can't check off everything on the list this September that I said I wanted to do last September, and this won't surprise you, those things that are more personal, those things that have to do with growth and not just goal setting as a professional, those are always the most challenging ones anyway. I say all that to ask uh, what your advice is to, to, to those of us, even at the start of this year, who are, to your point, still beating ourselves up about what we did not accomplish last year, what we didn't get done last year. <laughs> well, I think it's so important to one have some self-compassion. There's a lot of research around self-compassion, which basically can be summed up as treat yourself as nicely as you would treat your best friend or somebody you really care about. And if your best friend was saying to you, you know, I didn't accomplish everything. I'm lazy. I, you know, I just never get things done. If they start beating themselves up, you probably tell them they were being hard on themselves. You might remind them of what they actually have accomplished. So try treating yourself as nicely as you treat the people that you're kind to. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think a really good question to coach yourself with is, what am I most proud of over the last year? Mm. Because I'm guessing on some of those birthdays, Tavis, you have, you have set some goals, and then some things happened that you had no way of knowing were going to happen, things that might have thrown you off track or impacted you in ways that kept you from being able to do what you set out to do. Indeed. And so you can't ignore those things. You have to say, okay, there's some things that I've been through. Maybe I just, maybe I just needed a break for a yeah. while. Maybe... I've been going too hard. I needed rest. Uh, maybe I had to pivot because someone in my family needed me, and that took a lot of energy, and I wasn't yeah. able to accomplish what I thought. So self-compassion is simply compassion for yourself. Yeah. And if you have a hard time with that, think about how you talk to somebody mm. you love if they were saying the same thing. I love that advice. Just getting started in this side with best-selling author and personal development coach Valerie Burton talking in this hour about how to let go of the guilt in 2024, stop beating yourself up, and learn how to take back your joy. You're listening to Valerie Burton right now on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Valerie Burton at the start of this new year talking about her book, Let Go of the Guilt, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. Um, Valerie, you sort of um, intimated this earlier, but I'm going to give you a chance now to sort of unpack it for us in more detail. And that is this notion of what you call false guilt. False guilt. Take it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I talk about guilt, most of the guilt is false guilt. It's that we feel guilty even though we have not actually done something wrong. And so a lot of that is either taught, it's other people's expectations perhaps that we're trying to live up to, um, but it's important to make the distinction because if you are acting as though you're guilty of something, especially with other people, this is how people um, can get you on a guilt trip. Um, if you're acting like you're guilty, that means that you're trying to make up for something. Guilt says you owe. And so if you are operating in false guilt, someone can say, hey, you owe me because you, you, know, you didn't do X, Y, or Z, even though maybe that's not your expectation. Maybe that wasn't something that you uh, really wanted to do, but you were guilted into it. 
So I always say, you know, pause and ask yourself, as soon as you feel guilty, number one, label it. Like, stop for a moment. <laughs> Go, wait a minute, that's guilt. Mm-hmm. And then ask yourself, have I actually done something wrong? Um, I used to feel a lot of guilt habits as a, uh, as a mom who uh, goes out and speaks. You know, I, I travel. I don't travel that much. You know, usually it's just overnight. Um, but I had a lot of false guilt mm-hmm. around it. And so I had to work through that process. Am I doing something wrong? No, actually, this is my purpose, my calling, my business. <laughs> um, you know, am I harming my child? Uh, no. He's fine. My husband's taking care of it. His mm-hmm. siblings are, you know, are there. Um, but the guilt was heavy. So depending on what the situation, you want to make sure you ask, am I actually doing something wrong or is this, um, is this false guilt? And if it's false guilt, you can let it go. Yeah. Um, to your earlier point, how, how do we, um, this is fascinating for me, um, how, how do we get guilted into doing stuff? Everybody I know, including yours truly, is guilty of being guilted into doing stuff. But psychologically, emotionally, how, how does that work that, that, that we are all uh, subject to being guilted in our lives into doing stuff that we really don't want to do? Well, you know, first of all, people who can guilt trip you typically are people that you're close to. Mm. Um, I can't guilt trip you if you don't really care what I think, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't really know me. So it's usually in those closest relationships. Um, it's typically because we want that person to feel a certain way about us. And sometimes we may have felt that somehow we fell short, whether that's true or not. Um, and so you want to make sure, number one, that you notice if you're being guilt tripped, um, because oftentimes we either fear repercussions, so we go along. Um, sometimes we actually agree with the accusation. <laughs> so, you know, the person is, you know, saying, well, you're never around. And maybe you are around, but maybe you've had some other priorities and things to do. Um, and they're legitimate. But deep down, you're questioning, um, you know, is it is it actually true? And so when we go along with it, it's really easy for people uh, to guilt trip us. So oftentimes it's that fear. What are they going to say? What are they going to do if I say no? Um, so I think there are a few things you can do when it comes to guilt trippers that really, really help. One, you have to deactivate the guilt trip button because some people know how to guilt trip you. They do it the same way every single time. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so they say the magic word. Yeah. Feel guilty. This happens a lot with single parents. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of single parent guilt. I'm guilty the other parent isn't there. So, you know, maybe you don't discipline in the same way. Maybe you buy them a lot of extra stuff. Maybe you let things slide that you know you shouldn't let slide, and eventually you're going to pay the price because, you know, it's going to manifest in some other behaviors later. Um, But a lot of times, you know, the the guilt is based on something, and people know how to use it, kids included, Mm -hmm. (laughs) know how to use use those guilt trips. So one of the ways you can deactivate the guilt trip button is just when the person asks or they say something and you feel guilty, just don't react right away. Don't say anything. Um, or if you you want to say something, say, I'll think about it and let you know. And that way you have time to step back, take a breath about how you want to respond rather than just reacting to it. Um, and with some people, you just need to say nothing. 
Like you don't need to explain um, because I don't know if you've ever done this, Tavis, but sometimes if I start trying to explain, I end up talking my way back into whatever I was trying not to agree to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sometimes you just need to be yeah. quiet. No, I can't do that. You know, don't, don't keep going there. And then, like I said, label the guilt. Um, there's some research out of UCLA about um, what's called affect labeling, affect meaning emotion, mm-hmm. that, you know, when you feel negative emotions, the first thing to do is just label it, whether the emotion is guilt or fear or something else, because it interrupts your thought pattern. You don't jump straight into reacting out of the emotion. You go, oh, that's guilt. And you stop and you pause before you actually start doing whatever you're thinking about doing out of the guilt. Um, and then you just need to say, you know, I, I don't like to do things out of guilt. It makes me feel resentful. Um, you know, I like to do things because I feel led to do it. I, it's something I know I'm supposed to do. So you're basically calling it out. Um, and then sometimes you just have to make a request. You know, when, when somebody's guilt tripping you, you know, you might say something like, I know there's something specific you want from me. I'm asking you to make the request without a guilt trip. Mm. So actually calling them on what they're doing and what they're asking for might be legitimate, but you want them to ask for it without trying to make you feel guilty about something else because that's passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, for some, that's really hard because if you really fear what everybody else thinks, you don't do these things. You don't call things out. You, you start talking even when you know you're going to talk yourself into something you don't want to do. Um, and then lastly, if you're just not going to do whatever they're wanting you to do, just asking them to respect the decision. You know, I understand you think I should do something else, but this is the decision that makes sense for me. So I'm asking you to respect that decision. Yeah. Um, but I think that's huge. And, and like I said, they're usually people who are close to you. So being able to say that, I care what you think, this isn't hard. Those things can go a long way in hard conversations. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something you said a moment ago because <laughs> when you said it, you chuckled. And when you said it, I chuckled. And yet it's really not a laughing matter. Uh, and that is this notion that kids guilt trip their parents every day. And they do it quite successfully. It's almost kind of funny to think how good kids are. <laughs> at, at, where they learn this, I do not know. But it's amazing how, 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 how brilliant and how, 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 how deft kids are. At really at guilt tripping their parents. Let me just tell you, I was in a conversation with with a dear friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about this is a conversation I've had. I've had this conversation so many times, and it won't it won't be foreign to you. But um, this conversation that uh, again comes up from time to time amongst African Americans who've been blessed to get educated, blessed to do well. Now they're making good money mm-hmm. and they have kids. You know where I'm going already. Uh, and there is this notion they have and feel uh, of making sure that their children have it better than they had it. Um, And sometimes just born of the lifestyle you live, and I literally have friends this way. I have friends whose kids have never flown commercial because their parents are so well off, all they do is fly private. I live in L.A., it's Hollywood, don't judge me. I've got friends whose kids have <laughs> never flown on a commercial airline. They've never been to an airport because they always fly with their parents and they're always flying on a private jet. 
Uh, I have kids wow. who live in who live in very nice homes and, and have never been to South Central or to or to or to Appalachia or parts of this country where poverty is just run amok because they live in well-to-do neighborhoods, in gated communities, in nice homes. Not, not, not all my friends. Not, let me again, don't judge me. Not, not all my friends live this way. I don't live this way. But my point is that we we are in a space and time, as you well know, we're in a frame where there are a lot of black folk who've done well. And, of course, they want their kids to do better than they've done. They want their kids to have it better than they have had it. And so these parents wrestle with this guilt all the time about whether they're doing too much, not doing enough. How do they find the balance in raising these kids? Because, again, they're well-intentioned. They want the kid to have more. But then you end up raising a bunch of spoiled kids who are bratty and entitled and have no empathy yeah. or sympathy, and it, it 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 all becomes a guilt trip for the parents sometimes that the kids exploit. But even without that exploitation on the part of their children, they just wrestle with this guilt all the time anyway. That's a mouthful. Does any of that make sense to you? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a lot, and there I think there are layers in there. Okay, so, take break 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 it down for break it down for me break it down. <laughs> Well, well a lot of guilt comes from expectation. Mm-hmm. So the expectation that your children should do better than you. My, my dad taught me that. His dad taught him that. Um, and I think that's what we should work towards, right? You're building generationally. But that doesn't mean that you don't teach them how to work for <laughs> what the family's been building towards. So... I think it can be a, it can be extra work, right? So you get to a certain point, you might even forget all the steps you took early on. Um, your kids may not have seen what it was like in those earlier periods of time when you didn't have as much, when you had to stretch things in a different way. So you have to be more cognizant of what you're doing. And also, if, for example, you go from poverty to prosperity. Mm-hmm. There may be a lot of pain in that. And so out of your own emotional pain and damage, you can go overboard in trying to protect your children mm. from feeling any sort of hardship, any sort of, you know, you've got to work to get to where you want to go. And in that process, they end up missing out on the key lessons that made you successful. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's really important to have some, just some basic rules around how you want to teach your kids things that perhaps you learned just organically because you didn't have as much. Um, so I don't, number one, I don't think you need to feel guilty for, uh, for blessing your children. <laughs> I think it's really good to bless your children. Mm-hmm. But what are your kids' responsibilities in that? Is there uh, behavior? Is there attitude? Are there certain things they need to do? Is there hard work that they have to exhibit in order for them to experience certain things? Now, I mean, if you're flying on your private jet somewhere, obviously you're not going to send your kids uh, on commercial while you're flying mm-hmm. private, mm-hmm. but they aren't entitled to everything just because you have everything. And so I think it's important to teach them that. Um, and then I think it's super important to check your own expectations. Mm. So wanting your children to do better is not simply about giving them everything. You do them a disservice if you have not taught them resilience, 
if you haven't taught them how to work, and very importantly, if you haven't exposed them to multiple environments. You know, one of the things that can be very easy when you have a lot is to judge people who don't. Mm -hmm. And if you don't teach your kids that, hey, everybody's not born at that same starting place. And because somebody doesn't have doesn't mean they're lazy. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they don't work hard. Um, you need to help them understand the privileges that come with having. Um, and yes, as black people, we can have privileges. We can work our way into privileges. And if you don't teach your kids that, then they can kind of come from this judgmental standpoint when they're dealing with people that, that, are, that have less. Um, so I think there's a lot in that. I know I said a lot, but I think there's a lot of layers to that. And the most important is not allowing your own personal pain to get in the way of allowing your kids to learn the value of hard work and to be exposed to a lot of different socioeconomic uh, environment. Yeah. Um, a lot easier said than done. I, I take your point. Um, I, and I, I think that's what many people, many parents, again, who are black, who uh, have been blessed to go from poverty to prosperity, to use your phrase, wrestle with just trying to find that balance. And it's not an easy thing to do, but I, I, I take your point and I appreciate the advice. When we come forward, I, I want to come to this notion you raised earlier of expectations. And I, I don't need to color the question too much more than that. But when it comes to, to the guilt that we feel, um, a lot of that, to your earlier point, has to do with starts with expectations. I assume you mean by that expectations we have of ourselves and expectations that we allow others to place on us. So when we come forward, we're going to have a conversation with Valerie Burton about expectations. Her book is called Let Go of the Guilt, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. We'll talk about expectations when we come forward on Tavis Smiling. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiling. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley with some breaking news here. We'll get back to our conversation in a moment with Valerie Burton, author of the book, Let Go of the Guilt, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. I literally just said, what, five minutes ago that when we came forward, we talked with Valerie Burton about expectations, expectations. Uh, I'm sad to even share this. Uh, Claudine Gay, uh, the first black woman. Only the second woman, but the first African-American to ever lead Harvard has resigned. Um, there are many of us who expected that this day might come. We were hoping that she'd be able to hold on. You'll recall when 2023 ended, uh, we were engaged in a series of conversations, of course, about those congressional hearings that put the presidents of UPenn, MIT and Harvard in the hot seat. You all recall that. The president of Pennsylvania, UPenn, went down first. Liz McGill was forced out uh, almost immediately. And we knew that Claudine Gay was on the ropes, uh, on a tightrope at Harvard. And yet uh, the board at Harvard came out publicly days after that hearing and said they stood by her and they weren't going to force her to resign. And yet the heat kept building. Um, you saw the same stories I saw. And if you've been black, as long as I've been black, or even longer, you understand how this works. Um, when the board at Harvard came out and said they were going to stand by her, but then days later, these stories started surfacing about plagiarism in her scholarly work, I knew then she was toast. It was clear to me that they were going to stop at nothing until they got Claudine Gay. It doesn't matter 
that you had graduate students working on your text as all these uh, main uh, all these major scholars all have graduate students working for them and I can give you a long list of scholars who I know and many of these names you know who've been caught up in scandals about not putting footnotes in their in their text and many most of them um, certainly survive and continue to do the work that they are doing but not the case with a sister named Claudine Gay. When I saw this story shift from the hearings to about plagiarism, uh, missing footnotes and this, that, and the other in her work, I knew a tragedy was about to unfold. The sad part here is that, uh, let me just read the first three paragraphs of the New York Times piece out just now. There are stories everywhere now. This I'm quoting now from the New York Times. Faced with a new round of accusations of a plagiarism in her scholarly work, Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, announced her resignation on Tuesday, becoming the second Ivy League leader to lose her job in recent weeks amid a firestorm intensified by their widely derided congressional testimony regarding anti-Semitism on campus. The resignation of Dr. Gay marked an abrupt end to a turbulent tenure that began in July. Her stint was the shortest of any president in the history of Harvard since its founding in 1636, she was the institution's first black president and the second woman to lead the university. It is with a heavy heart but a deep love for Harvard that I write to share that I will be stepping down as president, Dr. Gay wrote in a letter to the Harvard community. So she's the first African-American, the first black woman, only the second woman to lead the institution. But now she'll go down for another historical note, the shortest stint the shortest tenure ever uh for any president of harvard since its founding in 1636 um it's a sad day and it's just day one we were literally talking in our first hour today uh with connie rice about the havoc uh the chaos or community as dr king uh, would put it that we need to navigate our way through this year uh we know this year is going to be chock full of all kinds of drama uh, but for black folk, it starts on day one uh, with this historic uh, uh, sister at Harvard, Claudine Gay, having to step down today uh, as president of that institution. Again, the first black to lead it, the first woman, first black woman to lead it, and the shortest tenure now of any president in their history. It's just day one, uh, July 2nd to be exact, but the first day back to work, and uh, black folk are already catching hell. Um, so I don't know what that portends for the rest of this year. Uh, but it is astonishing uh, that on the very first day um, we have a major, major news story such as this regarding an African-American. Um, so, again, in case you've just tuned in, uh, Claudine Gay uh, has resigned as president of Harvard. Uh, the sister, and I don't, I don't want to say sister in terms of black, she's a, a white woman, but the white woman president of MIT. Somebody find me her name right quick, Chris, uh, Miles. Uh, the white woman president of MIT is still holding on. But Liz McGill has gone down at UPenn. Claudine Gay has gone down at Harvard. And you recall the president was her name is Stally Cornbluff uh, is the president at, at MIT at the moment. She's still holding on. But you recall the Republican uh, out of uh, New, New York, um, the congresswoman uh, who conducted um, this intense questioning of these presidents said after Liz McGill went down, one down, two more to go. So it was clear that Republicans were not going to stop. Until they had uh, until they had their say. So um, she said one down, two to go weeks ago. Now two down. And I'm sure she'll be quoted if she hadn't already quoted somewhere. Uh, her quote will change now two down, one more to go. Uh, 
Uh, this story, of course, is still developing. Uh, there is no word, of course, at this point on who's going to replace her. Uh, the decision, you know, just got uh, her decision to resign was just announced. So in the coming days, you know, how this process works. There'll be a search committee. They will appoint someone on an interim basis and then they'll get around uh, to appointing someone permanently. Uh, but I got money. I got money that says it probably won't be another black person. Um, and that and that just you know, that takes us back to this conversation with Valerie Burton about expectations. I've said many times on this program, um, quoting a great uh, a great writer, when and where I enter, the whole race enters with me. When and where I enter, the whole race enters with me. When you are black and you get an opportunity, if you if you nail it, if you succeed in that opportunity and you succeed wildly. It does mean that there there is a possibility um, that some other black person may get a similar opportunity because you opened the door and you killed the game. But if with melanin in your skin, you get an opportunity as a black person to do something and you are regarded as having failed miserably, then you oftentimes will foreclose on somebody else getting a chance to do that job anytime in the near future. And so I'm not holding my breath and you ain't stuck on stupid either. She will not be replaced by another African-American male or female. Um, But it does raise questions, not just around the race issue, but also around the gender issue. I've made note of this weeks ago on this program and all this went down that it took all these years, took decades, 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 decades to get to a point where women were considered good enough to be president of these institutions. And now one by one, they're getting knocked down like dominoes at UPenn, at Harvard. We'll see what happens at MIT. So I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not naive about the fact this is happening to women who are running these institutions. And that's part of the narrative as well. I digress on that for now. I can assure you a great deal more conversation about this tomorrow, uh, no doubt at the top of our program. Uh, given the fallout that we are going to be discussing, I'm sure, in the media for the rest of the day regarding the resignation of the first black woman, the first African-American period, um, second woman to lead Harvard, Claudine Gay, uh, has stepped down. It is a sad, sad, sad story. When we come forward, though, with Valerie Burton, our guest in this hour, and I apologize to Valerie for that breaking news. I don't control these things, as she well knows. Her book is called Let Go of the Guilt. Stop Beating Yourself Up and Take Back Your Joy. This is a book. I I should probably send this book to Claudine Gay right about now because she's going to be wrestling with this for a minute about whatever guilt she may feel about whatever she did or didn't do, said or didn't say, should have said, didn't say. There'll be some guilt and she'll be beating herself up, I'm sure, and have to be talked into how to let that go and take back her joy. But all of this, as Valerie said earlier, oftentimes starts this guilt starts with expectations and so when we come forward i'm gonna go right to it um and ask valerie to talk in a moment about the guilt that black people in particular feel the guilt that we feel based upon the expectations that we put on ourselves and the expectations that others place on us so we'll still get in uh some good conversation in a moment about expectations with valerie burton on tavis smiling interrogating and unpacking that's what we do around here you're listening to Tavis Smiley. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. So, yeah, um, I, I expected this would be happening. Um, so uh, Re- Republican Elise Stefanik, uh, who is the white congresswoman, the Republican out of New York, who was leading that hearing uh, weeks ago where she frankly embarrassed these college presidents. Uh, they didn't handle that moment in the way that I would have handled it. Um, she has uh, said... Um, uh, that the resignation of Claudine Gay is long overdue. 
Uh, that's her phrase. It, uh, she cheers. She cheers the long overdue and forced resignation of embattled Harvard President Claudine Gage. I knew that was going to happen. Republicans will be cheering this for days now. And I'm, I'm seeing messages already um, in just the, the, just a few minutes since this story broke. Um, I'm seeing messages already from people who have all kinds of opinions about this. Let me just remind you right quick because I ain't going to have this. We're going to get into it tomorrow. But let me just remind you about how, unf- how unfair the process is, process is for people of color and particularly black women. And I'm not excusing it. If it is found that she plagiarized significantly in her scholarly work, then you got to pay the price. I understand that. But let me be abundantly clear about this. One of the nation's most noted historians is a white woman named Doris Kearns Goodwin. Google her and read about her plagiarism back in the day, and you'll see her on TV all the time, still being used as the go-to scholar, even though she plagiarized badly years ago. Google Doris Kearns Goodwin. I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. Google Lawrence Tribe, one of the most famous law professors ever at Harvard. He's been a guest on my program many times over the years. But Google Lawrence Tribe and read about his plagiarism drama at Harvard back in the day. And Lawrence Tribe, still a go-to legal scholar on networks and major publications every day. And then Google your president, Joe Biden. Google Joe Biden and his plagiarism of Neil Kanak back in the 80s. Tell you what I know, not what I heard. He plagiarized Neil Kanak running for president. And years later, he still got elected president of these. Your president is a plagiarizer. And yet it didn't stop him from becoming president of these United States. I'm just arming you with this data. You can Google it for yourself. I am making this up. But they're going to be coming for this sister for days now. Again, you do the crime, you do the time. If she's guilty of plagiarizing, you can't be president of Harvard if you're plagiarizing all throughout your work. Again, I don't know the whole story yet. More will come out. I'm just telling you right now, we got to set the frame right here. And it's the wrong frame for us to be in to let them act like she's the first and only person at Harvard (laughs) or any place else who's ever plagiarized. And you recall this story did not start about no plagiarism. It started at the congressional hearing about anti-Semitism. Excuse me, how did we get from anti-Semitism to plagiarism? Because they will stop at nothing to take out a black person who they they believe has uh, run their race. Your time is a five, four, three, two, one. You got to go. And if we ain't getting you on anti-Semitism, we gonna get you on plagiarism. I digress. The final word from Valerie Burton when we come forward on Tavis Smile. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Valerie Burton, I apologize. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I I don't I don't I don't I'm not the I'm not the breaking news king. I just have to cover it when it happens, and it just so happens on the first uh, business day of the year, first work day. Uh, this sister has gone down in flames at Harvard. I want to ask you to comment on her because the story is still developing. You don't know any more than I know at this point. Um, but I will ask you to close this conversation in the next four minutes, talking to me and talking specifically to black folk about the expectations uh, that we place on ourselves this year, the expectations that others will place on us this year, and how we navigate just the notion of people's expectations. Yeah, the expectations are really what lead to uh, to the guilt. And you just want to make sure you have the right expectations 
of yourself, that mm-hmm. what you're agreeing to is lined up with what you really, really want. Um, I think, you know, I'm thinking about the most successful people, the most common trait, personality trait is conscientiousness. Mm-hmm. People who are responsible, disciplined, consistent, but those are the same people that have very specific expectations about how things are supposed to be lined up. So if that's you, one of the quickest ways to let go of guilt is to adjust your expectations. Mm-hmm. What are the expectations that you cannot meet that maybe don't even line up with your own values? Um, and a lot of times they're vague. So get specific about what it is that you want so you know when you've, when you've hit the goal. And you can celebrate it without saying, oh, I need to do a bit more, because that creates a great deal of guilt. And then I think it's really important to have balanced expectations. Sometimes we expect more of ourselves than we expect of other people. Mm-hmm. And if we are consistent about that, you know, even in some of the stuff you're talking about right now, I think as African-Americans, we are so often judged as a group, as you said, if, if one messes up, we can all feel the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the majority group often is judged on their individual, you know, achievements or mistakes. That's right. And, and that doesn't stand out. So when we realize that, sometimes we have to reflect. If, if you're dealing with some things that really go back to you in the workplace as an African-American, sometimes you have to just kind of stop and say, do I need to give myself a break? Mm -hmm. Do I need a rest? Do I need to ask for help? Because sometimes we don't reach out and ask for that help. And can I receive grace when it's given to me? Mm -hmm. So make sure your expectations are aligned with what really matters to you, but also make sure that they're balanced. And sometimes, I mean, some some of us will kind of fight back on that because we feel like if, you know, if you were raised like me, I was told I had to be twice as good. Yeah. But sometimes you also have to recognize the burden of that. And when you need something more, when you need rest, when you need a break, when you need help, know to ask for that and to receive it. Yeah. Um, to your point, um, and it's the point I made moments ago, that w- you know, when and where I enter, the whole race enters with me. We're all judged uh, with a broad brush when we are black. Uh, again, I'm seeing messages flying everywhere now, as you expect. And they'll be flying for days now as this story continues to unfold. Uh, and I assume this is a black person who wrote this to me, uh, saying, Tavis, gay has ruined it for other black academics. And for me, that is unforgivable. She has ruined it for mm-hmm. other black academics. And for me, that is unforgivable. Well, and I say, quoting uh, Valerie Burton, or not quoting, but paraphrasing, you got to save some space for grace. The story ain't even completely told yet. Let's just save a little space for grace and not call anything unforgivable. You ain't God. You ain't God. You don't have the last word. Nothing is unforgivable. Uh, even if she did make right. a mistake and plagiarize, ain't nothing unforgivable. Don't come at me that way. I'm not buying that argument. Uh, but that said, uh, it's going to be an interesting story to unfold in the coming days. Uh, again, I apologize to Valerie Burton for this breaking news, but it gave us a good opportunity to give her a final word on expectations. Her book is called Let Go of the Guilt. Stop beating yourself up and take back your joy. Valerie, uh, an honor to have had you on this program on our very first day back this year. I promise you down the road we'll talk again, and hopefully there won't be an interruption of this magnitude the next time you're on. But thank you for rolling with us. I really appreciate you uh, rocking so tough, even though we had to do that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tavis. I wish you a great new year. Same to you.